0: And welcome to AMO Kenzoku, episode 13. We are a group of four bubblegum crisis boomer otaku who discuss various topics concerning anime, manga, and all other otaku culture. Uh, We are recording this episode on, let's see here, it is July 28th, 2022. The Kenzoku are myself, Nick. We also have Mike. Hey y'all. Sam. Hello. And Dylan.
1: Konnichiwa Sue.
0: And our topic for today's episode is Made in Abyss, specifically the anime series. Um. So before we get going, did anybody have any, uh, anything they wanted to add or recap from the last episode?
1: I had a, a quick one, which is actually, honestly, still have an episode and a half left, but Komi-san uh, uh, season two. Uh, I wasn't quite as big on it earlier, but the second half of the season has gotten pretty good. And it's, uh, it's definitely advanced from where the show was in the first season. And it's really great. And I'm glad that they're, uh, that they made second season. So that's, uh, one that I think was missed last time. It's one of those Netflix shows. But Netflix is doing more weekly simul, simul subbing. I don't actually know if they're doing simul dubbing as well of, uh, of shows. And that's another one that's really good.
0: Yeah. I think they, uh, Netflix has Isekai Oji-san this season, don't they?
1: Yep, yep. That is true. They've got, uh, two episodes out thus far.
0: Nice. Anybody else have something to add before we move on? Okay. So, uh, Made in Abyss. I guess I'll start with a little bit of background. So, it aired in 2017, and it was animated by Kinema Citrus, which is a studio I really wasn't familiar with before Made in Abyss. Uh, Personally, I think this show kind of put them on the map. Looking up their background, it looks like they're founded by a bunch of ex-production IG and Bones staffers. So oh. that's kind of reflected in their quality, which is to say they have incredibly consistent art quality. Uh, at least I made in in Abyss. I really haven't watched any of their other shows. I was kind of looking through their um, their filmography, and honestly, I don't. I haven't watched any of the other shows that they've done. I mean, I haven't watched Black Bullet, Barakamon uh scorching ping pong girls uh review starlight um classics all of them card fight card fight vanguard like i haven't watched oh actually you know what i have watched one of these shows they did uh rising of shield hero
1: yeah i was gonna say they did rising of shield hero and then um did they also do um the village bride from uh star wars visions
0: Yes, they did one. O- they did something. Yeah, for- yeah they did *Village yeah. Bride* for *Star Wars: Vision. You are correct. Yeah. yeah, so they've definitely been getting getting some some traction since. Uh, I again, I feel like *Made in Abyss* really put them on the map. Uh, rightly so. So, yeah. Uh, so you know, relatively unknown studio at the time. Um, but. Uh, actually, a couple years after Main Abyss aired, so Main Abyss aired in S1 aired in two thousand seventeen, and then in twenty nineteen, uh, they basically were uh, partially bought out by uh, Kadokawa and Bushiroad. So collectively, mm-hmm. they own a roughly a third of the of Kinema Citrus now. So that kind of explains why the licensing. Of of like things like Abyss into like a video game and other things seems to be so much more seamless because basically they have the publishing company, you know, owning the animation studio as well. So that explains why they were also able to get uh, the author Tsukushi as like a special advisor for the game, which is why I'm also pretty excited for the game to be honest.
1: And what's the what's the deal with that game? Is it out or coming out? Or I think it's coming. It is out coming
0: out. Stateside, I believe, in September, and it is being produced by Spike Chunsoft, which is the company that did the uh, the Nunnery Games uh, trilogy, so Nine Nine Nine. I can't remember all the titles, but they also, more famously, did the Danganronpa Rumpa series. When so, all those are kind of Phoenix Wright-ish, like mystery slash kind of puzzle solving. Mm-hmm. More, you know, in, I would call them like have highly interactive visual novels, mm. and uh, so I was first. I was kind of interested to see how they what they do with uh, *Made in the Abyss*. It looks like it's going to be a, quite a bit more of an action-y game than at least based on the, tra- the trailers. Don't really give a great idea what the gameplay will be like, but it looks kind of like a roguelike, which makes sense given the setting. I mean. We can get into yeah, this later, yeah. but I think the, the genre of roguelike really fits the Maiden in Abyss world almost perfectly. So I'm kind of hoping that's that's how it's going to turn out, but we'll see. I'll, I'll definitely pick it up. So.
1: Looks like it's coming on PlayStation, Switch, and Steam?
0: Correct. Awesome. So all pretty much covers all your bases. I honestly don't know what platform I'll get it for. I feel like there's merits to all of them, but Switch kind of seems like the front runner for me just so I can play it on the go if I wanted to. And it doesn't look like a pretty, like a graphically intense game. I mean, you know the character designs uh, translate well to low uh, low poly 3D is the best way to put it, I guess um, but yeah so so moving on, so that's kind of just a background of it. so I guess we can uh, begin discussing the series kind of more in depth. I want to start with actually the, the, the setting and the world building is, is for me, is really the, the big uh, set centerpiece of the show, um, right? So you have, you know, you're, you're not given a whole lot of uh, spoon-fed background, at least not in season one. You just kind of know that in this world, there is basically an abyss that goes down tens of thousands of feet. And over time, over millennia, you know, people have basically built a city around it. And all of the relics and artifacts that are excavated out of the abyss, you know, are worth untold fortunes to other countries to the point where other countries even actually occasionally, at least that's my understanding, that they'll actually send their own kind of unsanctioned divers into the abyss and, you know, basically. Uh, steal uh, relics for their own, and that—that's uh, a cause for conflict. That's kind of briefly mentioned in season one. I want to say a little bit.
2: And my understanding is this: it's basically like—I don't think they ever say that it's like Earth or whatever, but it's kind of normal Earth-like
0: world. Otherwise, right? And the abyss is this incredible—you know, its it, it kind of harkens back to human nature, right? I mean, you, people love rare things, and here in this world, you have this. You know, basically this giant hole that leads to a whole nother world that has all sorts of untold technology and relics and art. You know, I can only imagine the kind of fortunes they'd be worth. And you know, so-called wealthier countries in that world. I mean, you kind of get an idea of the level of wealth in some, to some extent, of the uh, uh, other other nations, right? Because there's that one kind of uh, scene. In, oh gosh, I want to say it was like around episode seven, six or seven, where it goes back to the surface and one of the kids at the orphanage, you know, gets really sick and ends up uh, being taken by uh, by the leader to, to a medical boat kind of, you know, run by another country. And, it, you know, you can tell the technology is pretty advanced looking compared to everything else in the, you know, city surrounding the abyss so i i found that pretty interesting so you kind of have this you know it, it really gives you this i guess uh, idea that the the world that made an abyss takes place on has quite a bit more history than you're initially kind of led to believe because i feel like at the very onset it, you kind of get the feeling that the you know the world is a little bit you know near past level of current day earth like there's there's some technology but nothing you know super advanced like it to me it looks like maybe like circa 1940s era technology with the spelunking gear you know and whatnot and the way the cities are you know all cobblestone together so
2: i was thinking like 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 wild west kind of like kind kind of of yeah steamboats and stuff but like sure
0: yeah honestly
3: kind of feels like it has the jrpg trope of you know, a somewhat past world, but then with absurd future slash lost technology in it, that makes it kind of hard to set an exact
2: tech level.
0: A little steampunky. Yeah, I think that kind of also it shows off the disparity of wealth between some countries and others too. I think it kind of sets that without being saying it directly. It kind of infers that. I feel so, and mm-hmm. that's another thing. I guess I'll go, get into it uh, a bit later before uh, we we move on, but. So I guess I'll kind of open up the floor to to the rest of you guys, you know, with, with regards to the setting and the world building. You know, what makes this series kind of stand out to you? Um, let, let me pass it to Dylan.
1: Um, So as far as the setting and the world building, it's like the two things that made it just really stand out was one, just the incredibly detailed drawing of the abyss that they have, which is like this you know, like eighteenth century like map of the drawing there and just like they keep going back to it and you see a little bit more. And I think the other thing that really kind of like drew me at the world. I'm like, whoa, what in the heck is like kind of the first time they explain about like coming back up through the abyss. And they're like, oh, you go through the first the one and like you feel a little weird. And they kind of like have the like their little, like kind of cartoony drawings of like what <laughs> happens to you. And you're like, oh, you go through the third one and you bleed out of every orifice and you're like the drawing is this like it's like this very cute drawing of someone with blood coming out of every orifice, and you're just like, "Uh, <laughs> what? Okay." And you're like, "Why, right, why are people that's... doing this?" <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I think those were the things. And yeah, I think Mike hit it. Yeah, very kind of J- JRPG, Final Fantasy-ish, where it's kind of like, "Oh, there's like airships and some little bits of technology, but most people are kind of like." you know, what you call kind of like high medieval level of like with specialized, like high, like kind of that high fantasy level without magic. Um For sure. And it works, you know, it works well because, you know, if people are looking at the abyss and all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, we're just going to come in here with our Exxon 15,000 meter drill and we're just going to drill down to the side of the abyss. It's going to be fine. Um. <laughs>
0: I mean, you see a little bit of that towards the very end of S one, right? With specifically with Bondru and how he, you know, gets the those orphans down into the fifth level. Like you, you see oh, yeah. something that looks a little bit more steampunky with some, you know, almost like with the almost Final Fantasy style, like you know, magic powered devices, so to so, speak. You know, it's not super well explained. And
1: with my, I think one of the things my my question always with that, and we can kind of come back and forth there, is like. How much of the things that are that sort of thing are stuff that people of the current iteration, which I'll say, you know, something within the last couple of hundred years made versus something that was made between there's ver- your various times of, oh, this stuff is 2000 years old. We think this is 4000 years old, which means at that point you're like, you literally have no idea how old that is. That's like, you know, oh, well, we knew exactly how they built the. What they were doing with the pyramids. It's like Right.
0: That's definitely a really great point you bring up. Um, they don't really give you a great idea of just how much time has passed where people have been exploring the abyss, right? You're it's kind of inferred it's been, you know, a couple of thousand years, but really, like, you look at the level of tech I mean, I guess the most glaring thing is Reg, right? Like he it's pretty much told to you from the beginning, he came from the bottom of the abyss and he is You know, he has technology in him that can't even exist in current day world, right? Because he's this weird, you know, indestructible, no, near indestructible, you know, hybrid, super cyborg, you know, child that can, you know, be powered by electricity or food.
1: With 40 meter... Extendo arms, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which is yeah, those
0: go? <laughs> which is such a cool idea. Um, He's basically bionic commando. Yeah, with a uh, with an omega death laser that he can <laughs> opt to use. The, the cool condition on it, too. Yeah, which is, I really like. And uh, so I think I'll I'll pass the ball off to you, Sam. Since I know you're the big one on like you know ro- worlds with very rigid rules and you know things like that. So I'll I'll, I'll pass the ball to you on the setting and the world building.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would just echo everything else everybody's said, and I would just add that it's the the fact that the the children are the kind of the central thing of it gives it a really uh, important angle that I think maybe it, like if it, these were jaded teenagers, it wouldn't be as cool or as interesting. Um, they're a little bit more lost. Um, yeah, and just Greg's laser beam and his like well not really i don't even even don't don't even really know what it is but the way that it's like yeah you go down and you come up and you've got all these conditions and it makes it really interesting to like as they go down they have to make decisions based on okay well we got down here and we're kind of stuck but we can't go up so we're kind of only left with going to this other direction which is actually super dangerous but we have to do it so <laughs> let's make it work
0: i mean it's incredibly high stakes right i feel yeah. like the show is you know teetering on the precipice of complete disaster almost at, as soon as as soon as they set foot into the abyss i feel like they're constantly in danger of something horrible happening to them like it real they really don't pull the punches on just how savage and dangerous the abyss is is as you know a location and that's not even including the the wildlife in it right (laughs) like that's a whole another level and then of course the ultimate danger is actually the other you know well there are some really dangerous creatures obviously but also the you you come to learn relatively early on with with ozin especially just how powerful the white whistles are right you're given like a kind of a inference of how strong they are or how capable they are before you meet one but then you actually see what Ozin is capable of doing and you're like these white whistles are like the I feel like the difference in capability I don't want to say power level because I feel like that's doing the show a disservice but like the capabilities of between a white whistle and a black whistle is mm. like astronomical. Like, I, I can't even put it yeah. on a scale, really. I feel like, you know...
3: They have... It feels like White Whistles have really transcended their humanity, in a way, or lost, it's hard to say which. You
0: you, I, you hit the nail on the head, right, Mike? I feel like this is, we can discuss that specific topic a little bit later, or maybe in the next episode, depending on how, how things go. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I feel like, you know, the White Whistles are just... Inhumanly powerful, and so you now you really understand like, oh, so not only are they dealing with this, you know, this location where as you go down, going up gets going back up gets exponentially more hazardous on top of all the super dangerous creatures that live in it. Which, by the way, the creature designs on the game or the game, the series are just like chef's kiss for me. Like, everything looks... So cool. So, And you can just tell by looking at something that is dangerous, right? Like the orb piercer. You just look at how it behaves, how it moves. All, you know, you, you can really feel the how absolutely lethal it is and how, how dire that situation was in the, what was that, like, Ep 10? Or F 9, maybe? Mm-hmm. And, you know, just... Yeah, like but again, and all that you know wraps back around to just the abyss as a whole is probably in my top three of all time settings in anime or manga. Like I, yep. it's it's so well developed. Like Dylan was pointing out, the map that old, you know, yes, co- I like want that. <laughs> turn of the century. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that they could make a cloth print of it, sell it for three hundred dollars, and it would pre sell out instantaneously yeah. worldwide because it's so cool. Like that turn of the century cartographer style on it and all of the notes that are accrued across however many millennia or centuries and that's how this information is is passed on and how there's even information that really is only passed on to white whistles, right? Like Ozone mm-hmm. kind of broke a taboo by telling Reagan Rico a lot of things that they yeah. weren't supposed to necessarily hear. Yeah, I was going to say
1: there's a lot of stuff that was intent that they say that it's like seems like it's intentionally not put on the maps and all these other things as part of white whistles and maybe even and some of the black whistles that are like, oh, okay yeah, we don't we don't write that. We don't give that information on the map and we don't tell people that these things exist because there's also like the whole religious thing around the abyss where it's because it's this thing that is insurmountable that it is become unto it's god deitized, it's deitized right yeah like, they, they exactly say like, it's they exactly
0: deitize that. the abyss like i mean it, the whole concept that you know, when you find out that Rico was actually born in the abyss, which is, you know, heavily inferred as to why, you know, on top of finding her mother is heavily inferred as to why she wants to go back to the core of it is because she is a child of the abyss and needs to return to, you know, whence she came, even though she knows full well what that really means. I mean, she, it's, There's you also know, that,
2: uh, the, what is it, the, the relic that she was made revived in not revived in. oh that, the
0: cube that that yeah, thing that the, weighs like a trillion pounds and only ozone could carry it all yeah. the way up yeah. to like four levels of the abyss and then like everything that
2: like i think was it like everything that was revived in it just wants to go down into the abyss
0: yep right yeah and yeah and so you know all of that just wrap. you know it's such a it, it, you you think that you have this idea of just how You know, massive and powerful the abyss is as a, as almost an entity and again, like a deity, right? But you just, they just keep revealing more about it. Like, my, my goodness, what makes people, it's one of those things where it's so hard for me to understand because I'm such a homebody, like personally, like I don't have this sense of adventure or wanting to go explore something. I can understand why people want to do it, but with the abyss, it's almost another level, right? Like, Otherwise, rational people will put, this, put themselves in incredible danger to traverse it. Like, uh, like, like Habo, like hub ha, ha, Hab, hub right? The the Black Whistle mm-hmm. that's like friends with that was like basically was like a surrogate, you know, uncle to Rico. Like he seems to be honestly a pretty normal, reasonable dude. He's really capable. He's a really good Black Whistle, but he even admits just something about the abyss draws him further in, and he wants to keep pushing how far he can go
2: it's interesting that like the uh the strongest people especially like the white whistles are the kind of the, the weirdest ones like the 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 better the raider the weirder they are the more problems they seems they have yeah
0: with the exception potentially being liza right she's kind of the only i mean obviously we only know of her character through flash mostly through ozan's flashbacks and mm-hmm. a handful of regs but f- as far as what's portrayed in season one she seemed i mean obviously she's powerful because like what, what they call it? the annihilator i think yeah is what they called her i mean yeah. i feel like it's inferred that when it comes to just rock physical combat she was probably the most feared and most capable white whistle um as the you know the blaze reap you know indicates that weapon is pretty much just made to you know to to hack and slash and um, it's inferred that you know the expedition that went really south with uh, that ozon and Liza went on, where Rico was conceived and born. Yeah. You know, basically the entire party, including you know her her husband, who she only probably had for a handful of months before he was horribly murdered. Um, you know, uh, uh, by I think they said it was from a, a a raiding party from another rival continent, is what they said. Yep, and. And so Liza went, you know, went full annihilator mode, and you just all you see is a pile of helmets that she's standing on top of. So it's inferred that she more or less wiped out an entire what I would have to assume incredibly capable raiding party because they were able to get to the, you know, the depths that the white whistles were at at the time, and I think they were at the bottom of the fourth. Yeah, was, I would say I forget. Level? They were either fourth deep. or fifth level. It was very deep, and. Yes. So a level that normal people definitely, you know, normal, you know, explorers definitely wouldn't be able to do. I believe after the third is when the bleeding out of the orifices gets exponentially worse. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, then after that, then you, yeah, then that's that's where you you go back to wishing that you were just bleeding out of every
0: orifice. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, even then, so obviously, you know, Liza, as far as, like, the way she communicates to people seems incredibly, I guess, air quotes normal, but, you know, who knows just how damaged she is, right? I mean, yeah. she actually ended up going down to the sixth level, which... Um, I think there's only one other white whistle that's that far down. I want to say the I don't remember his name, but the guy with the plague doctor mask. Yeah, we um, don't. I, I yeah. forget. They, we haven't they, met yet. Yeah, they mentioned him, but you literally know nothing about him, right? Or or them. I don't even know what gender they are. Who knows? But Not yet. Um, yeah, it yeah. I mean, at that point, are they really human? I mean, that's kind yeah. of the question. By of My time Doud, you
3: right? hit level six. Yeah, who knows?
0: Um, I'll. I'll oh go ahead
2: watch the tv show uh, sorry the, the the episodic version so i i recently rewatched um i rewatched it using the movies um and it was pretty good and they did this really cool thing i can't remember if it was at, i think it was at the end of the first one where they did the the balloon thing i know that's in the tv series but it was such a that good... was
0: at that was at the end of the whole t- season it was what are we talking about where rico sends off the message balloon
2: yeah. Was that the end of the whole season? That oh, was okay. the end
0: of season one. Yeah, it
3: was in the okay. T V.
0: That was the okay. final scene in TV one. I just rewatched uh T V this past week, so I'm very yeah, certain of that. During it's, the
3: credits, as I recall. Yeah,
0: it's right. literally the final cut is um the balloon making it into up to the first level and uh and not and not to picking it up and taking it back to the orphanage. It's like literally oh, right. the final scene.
2: So It's such a cool, really
0: great way to to end it right there with that. I know. It's, There's so it, much and just so much agony and suffering for the last real, like honestly, just like the the last mm, like three episodes of S one, right? Just yeah. talk about mm-hmm. gut wrenching and just hard to watch. But you know, the payoff the payoff is so great.
2: It's it's yeah, and it's nice to kind of juxtapose that with her, the, like the balloon taking their journey kind of in reverse and going through its own little hardships uh, to get all the way to the top.
0: And ironically, also being assisted by uh, by Mar Maruk in uh, oh yeah right. when uh, when he uh, is stitching it up because it got pierced, and then he sends it back on its merry way up from the upside down forest. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, I only just finished it for the first time, so but it's definitely in contention for at least one of my favorite anime. It's not over, but we have to end it here. And TV show endings
0: that good. I, I do. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, you know, if if my gushing over has isn't is not an indicator, <laughs> this this show is and for me it hits my all-time masterpiece level, like this there's yeah. so so little that accomplishes what this show does. You know, so few shows do even half of what um Abyss season 1 does. That's saying a lot because I guess I'll move on to another topic specifically the so so I feel like one of the things that makes it such a stark, um, like just one of the big juxtapositions is the the character designs versus what's actually happening, right? Like the characters, even the adults, are very soft and rounded looking, right? Like like Habog looks like he could be, you know, the the jolly fat uncle in any other, you know, mm-hmm. like slice of life show, but instead he's a super, you know awesome raider that's probably capable of you know tearing you limb from limb if he wanted to and
2: he like doesn't he like jump down on the kids when they're going down oh yeah uh,
0: right he cuts them off yeah he like he actually give gave reg a run for his money and as we know now reg is a very very special entity so (laughs) you know that's how good hubble goes right yeah. But um but you know, specifically you look at uh Regan, especially Rico, right? She's just she looks like she belongs in um one of those, you know slice of life like like she could, like she could be a character in Azumanga Daio, probably. Like with her design, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean that's I'm not I'm not it, but it's just the characters yeah. look are so for lack of a better term, so cutesy and so adorable. Yeah. But you're yeah. putting them into these situations that are Honestly, horrifying. Like when when I have when I I was uh, Sam. We were just talking about this, right? Like mm-hmm. if I had to define Made in an Abyss in a singular like genre phrase, I feel like the most accurate for me would be calling it like a body horror series because yeah. Yeah. honestly, that's what it feels like to me. Oh yeah, when when Rico's
2: uh, gets poisoned and <laughs> yeah, kind of cut her arm off. Oh I my mean, god! I, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah,
0: that scene oh man oh i just oh yes. it's i i my stomach literally sinks just thinking about that scene so my question to you all is would the imp would the show have the same impact if like the character for like let's just pretend that the characters something all look like they were from attack on titan like would it have the same impact
1: or let's go for another thing that the character designer did lots of character designs and work on like ghost in the shell if they looked like if they looked like the major and like ghost in the shell characters.
0: I yeah. Think I, mean, it I think it'd great... for me. Right. Because then it's like more like adults getting put into hard situations. And these are, you know, they're well,
3: or children drawn that realistically. Yeah,
0: fair. Fair. So I yeah. feel like that was a very intentional decision by the author Tsukushi. I mean, I haven't read many interviews of him, but I assume that was kind of a very intentional design choice. And, I won't lie, I actually didn't watch Abyss when it originally aired, you know. Um, I watched it a couple, like a year or so after because it was getting so much traction. But I saw the, I, it was one of those where I saw the key art and I was just like, eh, cutesy show. And then when people were saying, oh no, it's actually really messed up. And all I could think was the next cutesy show that has messed up stuff happen, which was... Uh, Monica Magica. Well, that there's that one, which to be honest, I, I, that's one of my like, one of my dark secrets i actually haven't watched madoka i just know that it's one of those shows um i intend to i it's not that i don't want to i intend to i was thinking the other one the show with killer lolis uh, uh why am i forgetting the name higurashi uh, higurashi thank you oh yeah yeah yes. uh, it's it, as i was thinking it's not that i dislike higurashi but i feel like it was kind of responsible for a little like for sure, a very truncated amount of time there were a lot of shows trying to do what it did and i was kind of like mm-hmm. okay it's, it loses the luster pretty quickly. So I immediately got that impression, even though Made in the Mist came, oh gosh, a number, like almost a decade after. So I, I, I should have given it the benefit of the doubt. But initially, the character designs were not a selling point for me. But then I watched, you know, um, a couple episodes. I'm like, okay, we'll see where it goes. And then really after the third episode, I, I was completely hooked in. So I think we're all kind of in agreement then, right? That the character designs are definitely to the benefit of the show
2: yeah yeah I think if you have older characters, you have expectations that they should be able to do this just fine, like just because they're anime characters, but you like being kids um lowers your expectations maybe, and uh raises the stakes for sure
3: and lets you kind of see things through their own somewhat naive eyes, even though yeah. they are not naive, not by the point they get that deep damn.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing, right, is Rico is kind of initially, you know, spun off as this, you know, uh, spunky, aloof, uh, slightly clumsy, and, you know, uh, almost uh, kind of the the class dunce, almost, because she's all sleeping in class. Like, you think, like, oh, she's, how can she be capable? But she actually, you know, is one of those kids that just does a lot of independent studying and she actually is probably more knowledgeable about the abyss yeah from the history otaku. books than than yeah she's an abyss otaku right like she knows quite a lot and it shows she, because she's like oh you have to do this with the entrails and you know like her, her ability to convert the creatures of the abyss into delicious food is like the whole is like a whole like Thing, right like regs is like my gosh it looks it looks awful or i should say he, he says it looks irredeemable but it's actually delicious and that's why you know he insists that Rico cooks everything because she's I, I did she's wanna, so good at it
2: i did want to say that the uh they did the bad cooking gag um with nanachi and i usually i'm so tired of that gag now i've watched enough anime but i liked that they put a slightly different spin on it and it's not just that she's a bad cook it's just she's never had good food before so she doesn't it know what it's supposed is, to
0: taste like it is, is Nanachi a she I always thought he was a boy uh i
2: thought it was they
0: a girl they don't uh, they don't really say so i guess it could be i i well, think it was it's a, meant to be it was a, a girl little... when it was a human i thought i thought it was a little yeah. boy <laughs> I, maybe, oh. <laughs> maybe I'm it's the same though i may be misinterpreted. maybe it doesn't I'll, it 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 we doesn't say nanachi. <laughs> yeah, let's call just call let's call them nanachi. I mean everybody yeah. can agree yeah. with that. But I, I totally agree, and and I think it's even funnier where 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 you know nanachi is eating and you know not eat and. They say like, you know, ah, eh, I mean it's food and and Reg's is like, Oh, it's it's barely palatable and then Reg tries to do it and does an even worse job and Nanachi actually <laughs> just laughing. He's like, yeah. Hey, this is even worse than what I made and is just laughing about it, right? And Reg Reg <laughs> can't even stomach the food. So I, I thought that that was such a s uh, interesting way to 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 spin that gag. Yeah. Really like that.
3: Backing up the stack a little, the combination of cute children and utterly crapsack world. Can have some major impact thinking of like now and then, here and there.
0: Oh, yeah, that's oh, yeah. a great example. That's actually which, a really great analog. Which was I'm actually not by, sure which world <laughs> is more crap, Zach.
1: Which was written by the same lead writer. Oh, that makes oh, a lot yeah. of sense.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: yep. Today did I did not learned. know that. Yep.
0: That makes a boatload of sense. I hadn't really, um, I
1: hadn't really thought about that in that way, too. i am like, yep, it was the same writer.
0: Huh.
3: And if there's one thing I'm learning from this podcast, it's that I need to follow writers more
1: closely. Right. Other than I'm, I'm just going to interject here and say like, this show is entirely the reason why I'm so glad that we started this up and like did this whole podcast series because this is a show that I agree. Like I look at the, I looked at like the little key art and I'm like made in the I'm like, eh, I don't know, whatever. And then you're like, well, okay, we're going to watch this show. I'm like, all right, I'll watch it. And I'm like, Okay, and now I'm just like this show is like it is the it is the anti MMORPG isekai show. It is there is so much heavy there is there is no lack of significant <laughs> consequence for action, and yeah, just everything has been done so well. So I just I just like this this show is like probably this show and like. Odd Taxi are like the two best new finds uh, for a reason to have uh, have this podcast. And I'm just like, oh, thank God, because I probably honestly, otherwise I probably wouldn't have watched it because I looked at the key art or like the little promo art. And I'm like, I don't know. It looks kind of like like a random little cute adventure show. I'm like, I don't know if I care about that. Um, And yeah, it is so good. And you're just like, oh, my God. So. uh, that's that's the thing I wanted to say there.
0: As long as we can indoctrinate more people into the Church of the Abyss, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't even remember
2: why I watched it at first, because I watched it when it originally aired on Amazon Prime,
0: when they were trying their whole.
1: It was probably twenty seventeen. Nothing out except for more Sword Art Online. And <laughs> yeah,
0: that I remember that was a big how to do because Amazon getting Abyss. Specifically, uh, was a big deal since you know they got the exclusivity, which took it out of the 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 Crunchyroll and the Funimation pool. So I remember yeah. in, mm-hmm. initially that's when it hit my radar. I was like, "What is about the show that made Amazon want to get the exclusivity for it?" And then it took me another year or so to finally get around to watching it. But uh, I'm so I am so forget.
3: Was it still when they were trying Anime Strike?
2: Yeah. Yep. As yeah, their launch I think, shows. Yeah, that makes
0: mm-hmm. sense. I mean, High Dive's trying to do that with season two, right? However, they went—I'm sure they went pretty hard to get exclusivity for season two. So, yeah. well, they
3: have to do something with Verve going toast. Mm,
0: true, um, but yeah. So, steering uh, things back towards the the topic of season one. So, I kind of want to pivot a bit into—I want to talk about the voice acting because I think that's something that. Oh well, let me let me let me that with the Japanese voice acting the original voice acting because I have nothing against dubs but I personally always like to watch something in anything in any language I'll always prefer to watch it in the original language because I feel like the intent of all the direction is the most uh, uh that's the original intent for all the directing team so I kind of want to watch everything in its original language regardless of what it is yeah. Uh, like I watch all my K-dramas in Korean because, you know, again same reason. But uh anyway, so voice acting, Japanese voice acting. Um I'm hard-pressed to find better performances um a- across multiple ranges. Uh than, um specifically, I feel like Nanachi really shines. Yeah. Um specifically uh, towards Ep uh eps I, I'm losing track. Second to last and last steps, pretty much of season, uh, season one, right? Like initially, Nanachi comes off as just like this, you know, mysterious, ultra cute sounding, but more mostly apathetic character. And all it's just inferred that yeah, yeah, this character seems some stuff, but otherwise, you know, they, they seem a little bit flat. And then you finally get to the. where you slowly see Nanachi start to open up to Reg. And then finally, Nanachi, you know, sees Reg use the incinerator. And that's when, oh. you know, literally spills his guts about everything that happened to him and Mitty. And. That, I mean, it's, it's, it's still memed, right? Like, that whole section, that whole segment where, where Nanachi and Mitty are, you know are are dunked into the into the sixth level and then you know uh yanked back up and that, oh god like it's it's nightmare fuel but it's I still I still it, it, the the voice acting in that segment by also by Mitty's voice actress as well was also stellar like when when the direction is you know so your body is basically trying to tear itself apart. You're bleeding out of every <laughs> orifice and you're losing your humanity. So go with that. And like, how do you perform that? And I was just, you know, it's to me, it was, it was, it was just, I, I literally shiver every time I watch that scene because it's just yeah. ex- everything, the animation, you know, the intensity, the, the voice acting, everything is so on point. And then for me really the the big one for kind of um Nanachi was when you know Reg Reg finally is, is ready to to use the incinerator on on Mitty and literal you know milliseconds before he does you, you know she, 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 they shriek stop and you know literally yeah. are bawling their eyes out I'm just like oh god oh <sighs> god this is this is I don't have children but I can only imagine that uh, your your child shrieking and crying like that would elicit a similar response because that's how I feel every single time. You know, yeah. I see that scene with Nanachi. It's just again the the emotion, the executed was so good. Like I, I just, know you're,
2: it, I know you're talking about voice acting, but like that that particular bit of the show was I, like if that doesn't
0: get you, man, yeah, I don't know. You're a sociopath. You're, yeah. you're a sociopath. I feel like that's going to be, that show can be the litmus test for if you're a sociopath or not. If you can watch those <laughs> last three episodes and not feel a thing, something might be wrong with how you're wired uh, yeah. upstairs. Um, And then, you know, and then of course afterwards where, where Nanachi breaks down and, you know, because, you know, M- Miti's finally, it's this weird sense of both like relief and also extreme loss, right? Because obviously, you know, finally achieved. The mission of, of having letting Mitty actually, you know, pass, but at the same time, losing, you know, losing the best friend. So, just again, this, I, I, oh God, it's so good. But yeah. yeah, I feel like that, see, those, fe- those episodes to me really emphasize why having really, really talented voice acting is so critical for like evoking specific emotions.
1: I, I say a couple others that stood out to me is uh like sayaka ohara as ozen is just yeah, absolutely so cool and terror and <laughs> phenomenal. Like she has to, like she has done so much stuff and i'm like whoa like this is probably her like probably her best performance and she's been in like like scrolling through her list A on lot. anime news network you're literally just like scroll for about for about eight pages. She's presented everything like forever. Uh, The other one that I think I was so surprised by, because it was that, uh, Maya Sakamoto, Liza Liza Mm -hmm. and, and the narrator.
0: Well, it's, it's assumed that Liza is the narrator kind of as, yeah, yeah. she's,
1: she's like narrating there because it, it was the least Maya Sakamoto sounding <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, performance that she's done. There, I just got to look and be like, wait, is that really her? Cause she has such a very distinct voice that she usually leans into. And like, I love it. Like she's,
0: she's one of the best Great, I mean, all time great. Yeah, right? I mean,
1: she's, she's incredible. Uh, but like it was so restrained on her doing that. I, I'm almost curious what the, uh, The ADR sessions were there. They're like, no, 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 sound less like yourself. (laughs) Um yeah, just like so many, and they definitely with Nanachi. And then with Rag and Riku, they are so great too, and that like it's it's yeah, it's just like Riku is she's inexplicably, unstoppably optimistic, like at most points, or You know, like when she's back from having her arm like nearly completely severed and then she's kind of like, all right, well, I'm cool. And it's done so well and in like in the believable fashion where it doesn't feel like it's over the top or anything. Yeah, it's just like within her feelings. I totally
0: get what you're saying. She, she, the way she is, her, she's got this magnetic personality, right? It makes you want to root for her. Even though she's doing something where a sensible person being, no, you dumb kid, stop climbing down the abyss. It's literally going to kill you. But you still want to root for her. Like, something about her, you know, op, it, it's not blind optimism. She definitely, at points it can be, I think. But there's always kind of a part of her that's seems grounded enough that you understand that she gets the severity of the situation she's in, and she's always working to improve herself, right? Because obviously she couldn't do this journey without Reg, but she's not solely depending on Reg to do everything. She wants to, you know, kind of increase her skill level and contribute to the journey best she can as well.
1: Yeah, and there's the whole section where Reg is taken out for his two hours of downtime. Right. And that she's like literally straps him to her and drags him around. She's like, oh, this this sucks. I was kinda leaning on him too much. Um and yeah, all all the voice performances in this show are uh they're all just really top notch. I'm I'm almost curious to watch the English if I'm curious to see if I can find someone who is curious to, to wants to watch it, but isn't willing to watch in Japanese, then I'll be like, okay, well, you know, I'll watch the English if that gets you to watch the show. Um.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, it's not like I'm poo-pooing dubs. It's just, I, it's the, the Japanese vocal track is just executed so well. It, it sets the bar so impossibly high for me. I feel like it's, and, you know, it's not like dubs are supposed to be, air quotes, better, right? They have to, you know, there's certain elements. I feel like with this show, there's not really any cultural something to worry about, so play. they can, you know, take their own spin on it, but um, uh, at the same time, just, you know, it's, I feel like the, even how, with how big uh, voice acting has become in the West, it's still, I feel like the the best the best of the best over there, specifically for anime, still in my opinion, just do it just can do it better because there it's 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 an industry that's you know they can be built into right. It's not like a after it's not like a modular afterthought that's thrown on like dubbing is even these days. Um, but yeah, I mean, I uh, uh, I don't know. I may I have the I have the Blu-ray, so I may throw on. A couple of apps in english just to see i uh if i have the time i honestly probably won't but maybe <laughs> i don't know just as like a uh a, a proof of concepting but um
1: it's one of those things where i'm just i'm just i'm curious to see it, like it's one of those things i might not get to but I, like i'm just because nanachi's voice is so great and so distinct that i'm like what do they do for english there so to me it feels like Dubbing Mekazawa from Curl Marty High School. And you're like.
0: Oh, but I mean, that's trying to replace Norio Wakamoto. Right. Which is yeah, literally like, impossible.
1: You're like, what do you do? Because you can't cop. So, yeah, so I'm just like, what do you do about that? It's almost like, well, you just throw it out and do your own thing as yeah. best you can.
0: Yeah, which is honestly, in my opinion, better, the yeah. best way to do it. Don't try to fit it into what the original language did, fit it into what works for the audience that you're recording it for and I think that's fine. Um, it's just that it's not to my preference. But that's okay. I mean, I don't have to like everything either. So. Um But um uh, I guess so moving on from from voice acting what's uh let's move on to kind of like a more broad topic. So like what's everybody's like thoughts on the concept of the whole show which is basically you know, two kids go into a hole where at a certain point they literally can't come back. There, are, we find out later there's potential asterisks to that, but for all intents and purposes, there's like a 99 point whatever percent chance of that they aren't once they make it down past what is it once they enter the sixth level of the abyss, that's the point of no return, right?
3: Depending on what's down there.
0: Yeah well even just based on the curse right because that's the whole thing is once you once you ascend from the sixth level that's when you lose your humanity and that's what bondruds like experiments kind of proved mostly with nanachi being the the one you know nanachi's literally the glaring exception right um that's why he's so cautious because if he said it himself if word got out that a, li- a you know a human Entered the sixth level and then came back and kept their, their sentience. Even if he turned into a furry, um, obviously he would be studied and examined to the point of you know uh, of being dismembered, right? Because that's what that's what science does, unfortunately. But
2: especially back then,
0: um, mm, yeah. So, like, what's everybody's like thoughts on that as a premise? Like, where you you're going? It's like you know from the beginning, it's a doomed mission. Like there's, you know, what, how, what are the, what's the possibility of, you know, getting a, a positive result, you know, a happy ending out of this from at at the, at the end? I just, I just don't, I mean, I, I can plausibly see a couple of things that might, you know, work that would be like, you know, deus, deus ex machina mechanics, which if they ever, if they did that, I haven't read the, the uh, the web the web comic or the um the the serialized manga so I don't know how it ends uh ha- did have you read it Sam no
2: no I've been the anime's so no, good okay. I'm just trying to yeah. watch holding that. <laughs> I know
0: same okay 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 so yeah so we're all more or less in the dark about what you know what the what the end will be I really hope it doesn't do this you know Deus Ex Machina and some somehow they are able to make it back because to me that would be such a cop out after building such a you know intricate world and set up for i feel like that'd be a cop out that being said it's not like i also not that's not that being said i don't want everybody to die horribly and you know
3: watch at the very and, uh, bottom and, of and the and abyss there's just a big red button that says start the third impact
0: uh-huh.
2: <laughs> practically speaking i really like the um the open-endedness of it of Rico basically just going down there with one goal to find her mom and she's not really interested in coming back. Um and that means that so much more can happen. Um and you're not kind of thinking, well, I know they're gonna come back at the end because that's like I mean, obviously they can always change it, but because I don't know what's gonna happen, it's so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um they, they could they, heck, this this series uh could kill everyone. <laughs> like
3: Yeah.
0: I, I know. I I'm honestly legitimately terrified that they will. And that's very that's very impressive for me because it's hard for these days for a show to have me so invested in characters that I am legitimately terrified that they might they not make it. That's do really a fantastic
3: impressive. job of convincing you there are stakes in building. I mean from, you know, the little scratches to the almost losing the hand to other things escalating from there like you get the feeling that anything could happen to the characters and they might not come back from it they're for a while or forever
0: and going back to what sam was saying about you know Rico's commitment to it like if there was ever any doubt about her commitment to the journey i mean well real really you should you should have lost all doubt when uh when she gets stung by the by the orb piercer and is telling Greg to you know cut her arm off, <laughs> and and not and they could have you know taken the easy route and not actually shown it, but no, they they really didn't pull punches on that scene, and that's one of the most stomach churning parts of the show. Yes. outside of uh, outside of Mitty, I think that's probably the, easily the most st- stomach churning part of the show. But the uh the arm the arm segment uh definitely. You know, showed Riko's commitment, and then also the recovery, right? Because earlier on, after when Nanachi's applying those uh, mushrooms to, to suck out the, uh, well, no, no, sorry, the mushrooms were actually providing recovery, and then I think the the medicine that he made out of Mitty's blood was what was actually curing the poison, if yeah. I remember right, and but then aren't you all saying but you know we can't we can't leave the mushrooms on forever because they're parasitic so eventually man and removing Manny. them is going to hurt is what he oh, said yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the last scenes right where you're it's just like oh gosh and again you if you have if you ever question Rico's resolve you probably no no longer can after that scene because you know to the I can they they did such a I mean and then that goes back to the animation and the voice acting right like you're <laughs> You're just you're literally like wincing away from from looking at that scene because you could really f- you know they they nailed that scene so as 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 horrifying it is to watch they really just made it effective so again you know her resolve is not in question by the by the end of S one for certain
2: yeah, they and... definitely keep uh, re- reiterating how resolve, how much resolve she has with the whole like um oh hey Reg why didn't you. Try and cut her arm off at the joint. Why did you break it here? I was like, oh, oh, she, she wanted me to, to break it to cut it off there. She's like, and then Nanachi says, oh, uh, oh, that's because I see, because if she had it cut off there, she couldn't do as much as a cave raider.
0: So correct. And then yeah, and then that's why Nanachi kind of took. I mean Nanachi. In Regan and uh Rico, Nanachi basically sees what he wanted him and Mitty to be, right? To explore the abyss together. Yeah. With his yeah. with his best friend. And I mean that's to me is very clearly why Nanachi, you know, takes such a liking to to them and putting you know, putting themselves in in d- potential danger by, you know, by by revealing revealing themselves, but Yeah, I mean it's and then you you it's you get that you know that big payoff at season end of season one where Nanachi actually you know is too afraid to say to to interject themselves into Reg and Rico's um relationship and then Rico comes up and asks Nanachi hey can you would would you join us and that's exactly what Nanachi wanted to hear right yeah so um uh, well as uh. As I predicted, um, I think this is going to probably end up being a two-eper because we didn't even get close to starting to discuss um, the technically third movie, which is basically the direct sequel to season one. Uh, I believe it was, was it was a Dawn of the Deep Soul. Is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're going to end up uh, discussing that movie which is fine because that almost is a season unto itself in content and discussion um so yeah any anybody have any closing thoughts about uh season one of Maiden abyss
1: yeah i love the soundtrack it's so oh yeah didn't even go. get to talk about yeah. the music oh my god i, I don't to say other than just like just watch it and then just like there's two soundtracks at least i'm on spotify i'm sure they're on the other but basically the uh soundtrack one is I think basically season one. And then there's soundtrack two, which I'm looking at the episode titles and listening to is basically it's like the dawn of the deep soul soundtrack. Um, so it is so good. There's so many just great, cool themes. Like a lot of it, it reminds me of, uh, uh, it's Kevin Penkin who's done other stuff for Kinema citrus stuff. He's kind of their lead composer. Um, but it kind of reminds me of, and I'm forgetting, uh, Lucas Jorgensen, I'm thinking I'm, I'm screwing up the name, but the guy who did the background music for Black Panther, um, oh, and yeah. a bunch of other stuff. Mm. It has very much like, a, and he did all the, the, like the main themes for, uh, the Mandalorian, all the, the great season one themes and everything. It has a lot of that kind of that same type of vibe and it's, it's a really great soundtrack.
2: It's like kind of off-putting too, which is really fitting for this show.
1: Yep, it sucks you in down. It sucks you into the abyss and makes you there, but slightly uncomfortable. But it's kind of upbeat, but also uncomfortable, just like the abyss.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> yeah. The, you get that massive tearjerker in the uh, the episode where they leave uh, Ozen and uh, and Maruk and Maruk is saying goodbye, and you know, literally knows. He's saying goodbye for the last time, and they start playing that song. And literally, I I bawl like a baby every time I hear that song. It's just it, it, it's such a powerful scene, and that song evokes so much of the the you know raw emotions of that scene. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. The soundtrack is easily a ten out of ten for me. Yep. Uh, what about you, Mike? Any uh, closing thoughts? Random thoughts?
3: Uh, just go back and forth between what a kind of crapsack world this is, but yet. Not really any more crap sack than ours a lot of places even now, but especially (laughs) like in, you know, the Dickensian era where you had child labor all over and people doing industrial jobs that had survival lifespans measured in the weeks or months. Like, not to mention all the stuff that happens in war, which is obviously a thing on my mind right now. So
0: it's not something that yeah definitely definitely hits close to home more cl- closer to home than you know at first glance for sure.
3: Yeah. Just the show is not unrealistically horrifying, I guess is one of the most horrifying things about it. The horrors themselves are unworldly, but not how horrific they are, I
0: guess. 100% get what you're saying. And uh what about you Sam? Any closing thoughts? Um
2: I mean, there's still obviously plenty to talk about this series um yeah i i think i don't have anything particularly interesting to add in these last few minutes maybe i'll just say um we didn't really we talked a little bit about ozen and i really like ozen and how they're kind of good but also maybe a little bad um I thought a really interesting character.
0: Yeah, I'm not not going to lie. When I when I first saw the show, the when once I understood what the kind of character Oz was, I made it, my first immediate thought was this character very well may be your favorite character <laughs> from the way they behave. So, yeah. and it's not no, so much that's not meant to be an insult. It's just kind of, you yeah, know, yeah. based on your, you know, your tendencies and as as you know, me knowing you for for a few decades.
2: Yeah. So, he's a very interesting uh, character.
0: Yeah. Um I don't know if anybody else this is a compli- kind of an aside. I don't know if anybody else watched them, but the the little shorts they have on the I think it's the disc for the third movie of Blue Oh, I guess I don't know if it's only on the Blu-ray, but um they actually have these shorts that it's like the day in the life of Margot and they're like 5-minute shorts and oh. they're freaking awesome because it's literally just revolves around Margot and, and Ozen. So I uh if if you needed a reason to buy the movie trilogies, those alone uh are are great exclusive content, so highly recommend
1: yeah, you just did that great good to know <laughs>
0: <laughs> um but yeah, with that, I think we're gonna call it a wrap for uh for at least our discussion on season one uh next time we're gonna go into the movie. Uh, Dawn of the Deep Soul. Uh, So with that, this is AMO Kenzoku signing off. Sataba.